0: carpet and the rest of the to the chair so I encourage you uh, for those of you that are on Facebook or getting the church emails to be uh, ready to pivot because uh, it will happen very quickly ripping up carpet and getting everything ready so when the installers show up and when the new chairs show up we are ready and we're poised to get everything in here so that we can uh, keep it moving amen praise the Lord I do have uh, a few announcements that's already mentioned we're so glad to have our evangelist brother Mahaney with us Yeah, so he'll be ministering to us here in just a moment as well as in, in our uh, 6 p.m. Uh, service. So I encourage you, you do not want uh, to miss that uh, tonight. but I also may mention to our eye care, uh, which is eye care is a, uh, it'll be in our Fred Olson building on 7 o'clock on Tuesday. And it's for those that are new to our church or new to the community and would like to have, uh, you know, maybe a, a little more uh, intimate setting where we can have snacks and, and fellowship and get to know each other a little bit better. But that'll be our eye care on Tuesday in the Fred Olson building uh, here on Tuesday night. Um, that's actually all the announcements I'm going to make. If our ushers can make their way, I am going to make one other plea about Save Our Children. Uh, as you know, Save Our Children is the financial lifeline of the children's ministry of both the district and the national levels of the United Pentecostal Church International. Save Our Children is not just a campaign to raise funds, but it's about our children, your children and my children, as well as uh, our grandchildren and all the kids that are connected to us and making a financial investment in the future of the next generation. So what we have, this uh, these pledge cards here, and I encourage you while we're taking the offering to come and grab one. Our goal this year is uh, $10,000. One hundred dollars, and already this church has already pledged fifty-two hundred dollars towards that goal. It's a neat deal. It's a neat deal. So last year, those uh, last year, hundred and ten young people, the ages between the ages of eight and eleven, received the gift of the Holy Ghost in Florida. So the funds are helping affect the next generation. So I encourage you, uh, while we're taking up the offering, if you would like to come up and grab one of these uh, pledge cards. We're not going to harass you or anything like that. But if you want to be a part um, in the investment of saving our children or helping the young people of uh, this generation, I encourage you to, to take part in that. Amen? Praise the Lord. Let's go before the Lord in prayer for our offering, shall we? Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, as we gather in this place this morning, Lord. We come, Lord, to worship and to magnify your name because you have been so so very good to us. Lord God, we are all in agreement here this morning that you have uh, done everything in our life, Lord, and we owe you absolutely it all, Lord God. And so as we come, Lord God, being faithful over God, have you blessed our businesses, our homes, our children, and our families. We ask you, Lord God, as we come to bring our tithes and our offering, Lord, let it be pleasing, Lord God, and acceptable and out of obedience and sacrifice. And we owe you it all, Lord, and we thank you for this opportunity. In your precious and holy name we pray in Jesus' name. Give me honor the Lord in our giving and in our worship. God bless.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh.
2: keep that going in this room today if we can keep faith alive in this room today this song that we're about to sing is called he's in the room and it comes from psalms chapter 139 and it talks about if i'm in the highest heavens god you are there and if i am if i make my bed in hell god you are there in this journey that we go through in life it's got highs and it's got lows but god is always there he is always there If you're here in this room today, it's not by coincidence. If you're listening to this through live stream, it's not by coincidence. God is here. And I asked God, I asked him, I said, what what do I say to introduce a song? And I want to know today and I want to ask you today, what would you do? What would this room look like? What would your praise look like if you knew that God was right here in this room? if you knew that your healing was right here in this room, your breakthrough was alive right here in this room, what would it take for you to give God some crazy praise, some faith that will move mountains in the room today? Worship with us. Hallelujah.
1: First the okay.
3: you know he's in the room. Well, if you can't feel the spirit uh, that we're feeling right now, I'm going to tell you that spirit uh, is the spirit of God. Amen. It's the Holy Ghost, the Bible tells us. Amen. Amen, amen. So glad to have Brother Mahaney with us. Amen. Been here many times. But if you do not know him, Uh, He resides in Arkansas, but he preaches around the world, and we are so glad uh, that we have the opportunity of him being here with us again today. Amen. You do not want to miss tonight's service. Uh, I'm just going to tell you how we do it around here. It's not an identical service. Uh, It is a different service, and so you want to be blessed this morning, and you want to be blessed tonight. Uh, Amen. Brother Mahaney.
4: Come on, let's give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Come on, he alone is worthy. Come on, he deserves all my adoration. He deserves all my praise. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, what a mighty God we serve. Hallelujah. Well, i tell you what, it's like, remember the cartoons and Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote? And he was always trying to blow them up and end up blowing himself up. We're sitting on a powder keg right now. What an opportunity, and I take it. I don't take it very lightly at all to be able to stand behind this pulpit. And I give honor to your pastor and his family. Brother and Sister Olson are very dear to me. Uh, What a man of God. And I, I thank him for everything he's done for me and my family. And you are very, very blessed. Take it from somebody that's in a different church every week. You're very blessed to have this kind of leadership. I'm thankful for what God's going to do in this place Uh, part of me wants to just start singing some old songs and just blow the doors off but but God I feel like he wants, I got up this morning and he began dealing with me and God's going to do something for somebody in this place and I recently preached at Landmark, and I preached a sermon there, and this is what God wants me to preach here today. I, if you've seen it and heard it, I'm sorry, but it'll be different anyway. But I feel like God has something to speak to us. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from Psalm 48 and 1. says great is the lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our god and the mountain of his holiness yes. let me read that again great is the lord and greatly to be praised when some he's great so we need to give him great praise and i want to speak to you for just a little while on there's a new horizon And I want you to lift your hands with me right now. By the authority of the Word of God and the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ, God, begin to move upon us, Jesus. We need you right now, Lord. We need you now more than we've ever needed you before. We as your people are looking up towards you in heaven, God. Look down from your holy habitation in heaven and bless us, Lord. God, we need you to move upon us right now. Mend our hearts, Lord. Ease a broken heart and mend the pain, Lord. Heal sickness right now. Deliver people in the name of Jesus. Lord, I need you to touch my mind. I need you to touch my voice and my body, God. Help me, Lord. Let my ears tune into you right now. It's not about me, Lord. It's all about you in Jesus' name. Everybody say in Jesus' name. You may be seated. In March of 2004, in a drug rehab in Little Rock, Arkansas, I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I know that y'all look up here and you see this good-looking evangelist, because y'all ain't used to seeing good-looking evangelists. I've seen the ones you had. Them fellas got to chase a water fountain to get a drink. But at least once or twice a year, you get to hear a good-looking evangelist. But I was, you take away all this, and I was facing 40 to life in prison, bound by drugs, alcohol, sin. I was an IV drug user for over 20 years. But at that moment, in March of 2004, I was set free and delivered from the tyranny and the grip of sin. At that moment, God set me free and he set me on the path that I'm walking on right now. Now because of the lifestyle that I had lived for so long, I had no relationship with my family. It's not because that the love wasn't there, it was because of the differences in our lives and how I lived. See, theirs was a life dedicated to God, and mine was a life dedicated to evil and to sin, involved with witchcraft and everything that was evil. There was always a distance between us. But when I received the gift of the Holy Ghost in March of 2004, God took a relationship with my father that at its best was tense and distance. And he put us back together again. God took a relationship with my brother and my sister that I was so distant from that I didn't even know my nieces and my my niece and my nephews. And he put us back together again. Now he's my best friend. And my father and I became inseparable. And I began traveling with my father. Everywhere he went, I would go. And I would get, have to get a paper signed by the judge that would allow me to leave the state. That was nice of him. And everywhere my father would go, I would go. And I would sing before he preached. And for the next three years, God restored all the things that the enemy had tried its best to destroy. And my dad began pouring in, into me on how to be an evangelist. Because when I got back in church... When I received the Holy Ghost, he I knew what God had called me to do from almost from that first day. So my dad was an evangelist for 34 years at his death, and he began pouring into me how to be an evangelist and how to be a real man and how to live for God. March of 2007, I received a call from my mother. With desperation in her voice, she frantically was telling me, you have to hurry and get to the house. Something is wrong with your dad. I only lived about a mile up the road, and I come flying in the driveway, and I arrived in a few minutes, and there was my father in his favorite chair, sitting there fighting for every breath. I never felt so helpless in my life. I was helpless, and I couldn't do anything. All I could do is pray for him and wait on the ambulance to get there. He was rushed to a nearby hospital, and little did I know that this was to be a start through a valley of trials and pain that wasn't able to treat him at this smaller hospital, and they said, we're going to transport him to Baptist in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and one of the last things my father said to me was he looked at me, and he says, don't worry about me. I want you to make a covenant with me. I want you to always take care of your mother. Little did I know that that in the future, this past year, that my mother would be diagnosed with Lewy body dementia and have to move into our house in April. But I remembered that promise and that covenant that I made with the prophet of God. And you know what? It's an honor to be able to take care of her. It's an honor to get her ready and take her to church when I'm home. That's what my wife did this morning. First thing she did was get up and go get this precious woman of God ready so she could be in the house of God. I beat the ambulance to North Little Rock Hospital, and I was waiting on them, and when they opened the door, they unloaded my father, and he was already intubated with tubes breathing for him, unconscious, and he was in bad shape. The next couple of days was some of the hardest I'd ever been through, and I would stand there on the, on, on the wall where on the other side of the wall was my dad's bed. They wouldn't let us back there because he was in such bad shape. And I'd have my hand on that wall, Pastor, and I'd be praying. I'd be doing Billy Cole, Doug Kleindentz, Dents, everybody I could thank. God, heal my father. God, heal my father. Brother, Brother Haney and Sister Haney would call me every other hour. And we would pray. I went into the chapel of the hospital in the early morning hours of Sunday morning. And I began to call on God. People from everywhere were praying. And I began to ask God, please let me know what is about to happen so I can take care of my family. And here's the word I received from the Lord that early morning Sunday. I will give you all. I will give you all, if all you want to ask of me, I will not say no. And if my sacrifice is less than giving you my very best, help me remember Calvary's cross and be willing to say yes. The Lord spoke to me through that song. And then he said, get your house in order and prepare your family. I knew I didn't have much time. They wasn't letting us in critical care. So some of y'all have heard my testimony. I'm pretty good at sneaking into places. So I, you know, breaking in a critical care unit wasn't nothing. I snuck in the critical care ward to see my dad. And when I got in his room, he was laying in his bed at an angle because he was bleeding internally. Unconscious, had tubes coming out of his mouth. He'd been unconscious for 2 days now. I looked at those big old hands and they were bruised, tied down to the bed. And tears began to run down my face and I knelt down beside him. And I put my mouth right here on the left side of his ear and I just began to tell him, I love you, dad. I love you, Dad. Thanks for teaching me how to be a man the last three years. Dad, thanks for teaching me how to be an evangelist. I hadn't even preached yet. And I was telling the man of God, thanks for teaching me how to be a preacher and an evangelist. Something moved over me in that moment. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, I make a covenant and I swear to you before God right now that what you started I'm going to finish. And when I said that, something quickened that old prophet's spirit. And he sat up in that bed with all them tubes coming out. I don't even know how he did it. He sat up in that bed and he put his face right here at my face. And he held me in his eyes for a long moment. I didn't understand it right then, but he was transferring his mantle to me. All these people that don't believe in mantles, well, I don't care what you believe. I know what happened to me on that March morning, on a Sunday morning, March 8th. I took him by his head, and I laid him back down. And they started taking the machines off. And as we lay, we, we, he lay there and started taking his last breath, he had the critical care nurses around him. The doctor was in the room, and all of a sudden, this power came into this room. When I tell you, everybody that was there would say the very same thing I'm about to tell you. It was such a strong presence of God come into that room that you couldn't even hardly stand up. I was sitting, I was doing this right here, and the power of God began to fall, and people began to speak in tongues that was in the room. And when he took his last breath, it sucked out of that room. You could feel it just whoosh, come out of that room. My, mother's, my brother stood up, and he began to read John 14 and 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Because in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. My mother stands up and begins quoting the Shema in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And he was gone. The critical care nurses had never been able to say one word to him. He had never spoken to them. They didn't know his name. They just knew his name by his chart. And I looked, and they were on their knees weeping and sobbing. The doctor grabbed me by my shirt. He goes, my God, what just happened? I've never seen this before in my life. I said, the angels of God just came, and they took a prophet home to be with him. That was Sunday morning, March eleventh, two 2007, And I made a promise to my dad, so that night, that March 11th, Sunday night, 2007, I preached my very first sermon, and I baptized my first drug addict in the name of Jesus Christ. Since then, I've been blessed. I've baptized thousands and thousands and thousands of people all over the world. You know why? Because I made a promise to a man of God in front of God. You think I'm going to compromise? You got the wrong man because I made a promise to a prophet. Come on, you think I'm going to give up on all our holiness? You think I'm going to give up on Jesus' name, baptism, and filling of the Holy Ghost? No, I made a covenant with the man of God and with God. October eighteenth, two 2008, I just started preaching Now I was evangelizing. My first sermon was over in three minutes and 28 seconds. And within six months, I was evangelizing. I was laying on my bed, and Brother Wolf from Tampa called me. He said, Nick Mahaney? I said, Yes, sir. He said, I'm in prayer, and God said, You're supposed to preach your first revival in Tampa. My knees begin to knock right then. I said, Revival? I only had one sermon. He said, yeah, I want you to preach Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. I'm thinking, Lord, you got to speak to me. I got nothing. And he had somehow double booked, and he had a guy named Charles Robinette That was preaching that morning and I was preaching that night. Well, I'd never met Charles Robinette. That dude got crazy. He prayed, he prayed the chairs through to the Holy Ghost. He threw his coat off, his tie. He was running and jumping on pews. And I'm sitting back here going, Dear Lord, what am I gonna do? So I got up Sunday night. Whole bunch of people looking at me. I probably said, "My name is Nick Mahaney." First revival. And tell the truth, that was only that was going to be my sixth, seventh, and eighth, and ninth sermon I'd ever preached. And I got up, and I had all my notes laid out. And I could not believe that all those pages of notes was gone in less than five minutes. And I'd heard my dad a hundred times say, all right, every head bowed, every eye closed. So I didn't know what else to do. I said, every head bowed, every eye closed. And I kind of snuck over there to Brother Wolf. He looked at me and goes, no. What do you mean no? Everybody's got their head bowed, eye closed. They're about to start looking. I said, here, you take it, Brother Wolf. He shouts out, I said no! Well, guess what? There was no more heads bowed. Not one eye was closed. He said, You started, you finish it. So everybody's now looking at me. I couldn't get their head bowed and eyes closed if I went and done it myself. And I just said, Would anybody like the Holy Ghost? and a few people started coming down to the front. In spite of me, God filled them with the gift of the Holy Ghost. October 18th, 2008, trying to, I'm newly married, trying to dig out a ministry, evangelizing, and I was sitting in the motel lobby at General Conference. I'd brought my new wife and my mom and my daughter and I got a phone call and on the other end of the line, I could hear frantic voices in the background. And I heard them say, there's nothing we can do. He's gone. And I told my son, I said, who's gone? He said, you're my son, your grandson, Charlie. My grandson passed away at four months old, laying on my son's chest. The coroner told me there was nothing they could, no, nobody could have ever done for him. It was called sudden infant death syndrome. I didn't know what I was going to do. My mother was just still grieving over the death of her husband. And she was upstairs getting ready. So Brother Huntley's a big voice in my life. And Mark Foster have been a big voice in my life ever since I got in church. So I called Brother Huntley and Brother Foster and they met me. And they went upstairs with me, and I'll never forget. As Brother Huntley knelt down in front of my mother, he took her by the hand. He said, Nita, I have the worst news to tell you. He said, your grandson Charlie just passed away. That woman let out a scream, and she ran up the wall and fell on her face and began to cry and scream. I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? I've only been preaching a year. I was at conference hoping somebody would just say, hey, would you like to preach for me? I just got married. I mean, I was just, my wife was lucky. She found me, but I just got married. And and now with my new family, we loaded up right then, drove home to have a funeral. I can't tell you how heartbroken I was. With the pains of just losing my father still fresh, I had to preach the Funeral of my grandson in a casket about this size. October eighteenth, two 2009, almost one year. My sister was at the church, 42 years old, and died of a massive heart attack. Here I am in my 40s, trying to establish myself as an evangelist. I'd work during the week. See, y'all have to understand, I, you know, I got, I've had friends say, you know, I think I'm just going to go back to what I used to do. Well, I can't go back to what I used to do. I was a meth cook. I could steal your car. I, go, I can bypass your alarm system so fast it make your head swim. I can't go back. Come on, I made a commitment. I, there is no turning back in Nick Mahaney. Come on, I tell you, the devil has tried over and over. But I'm determined. Come on, I, hallelujah, anyhow. I'm not going to let stuff get in my way. I don't have a choice. So I would do any kind of work. I'd lay sod. I would tote boards, bricks, whatever I had to. My wife has a degree in early childhood development, so she was teaching school. We were poor. We were so poor, somebody broke in, we mugged them. We had to eat cereal with a fork so the next person to have a little milk. But I had made a promise to a prophet on his deathbed. I'm gonna finish what you started. I wasn't about to give up. You know what? God began to honor that. God began to honor my dedication and my sacrifice and my wife's dedication. And her sacrifice. Everywhere I went, people were getting filled with the Holy Ghost and they were getting baptized. They were getting healed. It wasn't the preaching, I promise you. It still ain't the preaching. It was because I was sold out to Him. Man, we started getting busy. Instead of spam and Vianney sausages, I like spam, I'm sorry. I, I said that not too long ago and somebody brought me a case of spam. Now how am I going to get that on an airplane? People trying to steal my goods. We start, I started getting busy, and my wife received a big raise on her job. Man, we moved into a nicer house, and we had it pretty good. I was always gone on the weekends and she she got when i say she got a raise on her job she got a 20 dollar an hour raise i mean when she come in and said that i'm like man we headed to the sizzling and i'm in prayer is this all right i know this is different i'm in prayer And God spoke to me, said, do you trust me? Hmm, yes, I trust you, God. You've been good to us. Sell everything you have. I'm going to find you an RV. I'm telling you, this is what he told me. Sell everything you have. So it was Evangelist Conference 2010. I hadn't told my wife that God had told me to sell everything. Now, you ladies love your houses, don't you? And all your stuff. How would you like it? Your husband came in and said, well, sell everything. What do you mean everything? Everything. You'd be like, are you sure you heard from God? Because I'm about to bust you in the pie hole if you haven't. Well, that evangelist conference, Brother Huntley happened to be preaching. So I'm going to talk to, you know, the voice in my life and And I lay it out there. I said, Brother Huntley, the Lord told me to sell everything I have. I'm going to get an RV and load up everybody, and we're going to travel. We just received guardianship of our grandkids, who we eventually adopted. They were two and a half and five. I mean, this was a lot to ask of my wife. Brother Huntley said, Nick, I don't know what the answer is, but if you'll meet me in the morning for breakfast, I'll have an answer. That tells me the man of God went upstairs and prayed about me that night. He beat me to breakfast. And that's hard to do because I love me some breakfast. You can ask that motel down there. I mean, sometimes, I like the other day, I almost ate from 7 to 10. And when I walked down there, he said, I've heard from God, and it's the will of God. And at that time, he said, God's going to make a way. And I don't want to get in depth, but at that time, a, a TBN had heard my testimony. They were throwing money at us, and I wasn't about to do that. My Bible says, buy the truth and sell it not. And I told them I will not associate my name with anything that says Trinity and false doctrine. And they got mad at me, and I'm sitting in the church praying, and a voice speaks to me, an audible voice in my right ear, and says, you passed. And I go to the mailbox the next morning, $7,000. And five different people fell out of my mailbox. This is all happening after the Lord told me to sell everything. We started selling everything. And a pastor called and said, man, there's an RV sitting out in the field. And the Lord told me to call and tell you about it. Well, I was a drug dealer most of my life. I didn't have bad credit. I just didn't have any credit. They couldn't believe somebody in their 40s had zero lines of credit. And I didn't feel like explaining it to them that I was kind of a cash and carry guy. You got some cash, you can carry. And a pastor, God began to deal with him and a man in his church. And he said, Our board, he said, Are you what are you trying to do? And I told him, I said, Well, we're trying to get an RV, but. I don't have any credit. He said, well, I know the Lord spoke to me, and our board is going to sign with you, which we paid that off in a year. So we loaded up a two-and-a-half-year-old and a five-year-old and a a a part chihuahua whose daddy was a Rolling Stone and put it in a 38-foot-long tornado magnet and hit the road. I don't know, y'all, I ain't really built for those showers. And I can tell y'all, there ain't no secrets in an RV. I thought about putting scrunchies all around the shower and just doing this. For five years, we traveled in that tornado magnet. We actually traded it in, and and God helped us move up into a nicer RV, still an RV. And at that same time, the Lord opened up the doors to the Philippines where the president, Duterte, had given me and another man full run of all the prisons and all the drug places to come in and minister. And I did 17 trips, and we baptized thousands and thousands of people in the Philippines as well. So I'm praying... And my little ADD grandson, he knew my prayer time was in the morning, right? And he would sit there by his door. And when I said, in Jesus' name, here he is. <laughs> and I was praying that morning. And the Lord very clearly spoke to me and said, go back to Arkansas. I'm going to have a house for you when you get there. Okay. I, told my, I didn't even tell my wife for like the first week we're headed back from California. And I said, we're going back to Arkansas because I think God has a house for us. I thought she's going to jump out of the truck and start shouting. A friend of mine had a house come open and we began to lease it, Brother Joel Hart. And it was the nicest house we could ever think of to live in for us. Now I was booked up for a year in advance Now, I still am. People are calling me every day. I'm blessed. I'm humbled. I can't believe somebody would even want me, to be honest with you, because I know me. You know, y'all might think you know me, but I know me, and I'm humbled that God would even use me. And 2021, the Lord helped us get a new house with a little bit of land, and 2022 was the greatest year of my ministry up till then. One of the greatest honors I received was they called me and asked me to close out our camp meeting on Friday night and preach at my home district Friday night. You don't understand, that was my last service before I walked out on God when I was 17. God brought me a full circle back, and I was to walk up behind that pulpit. I'd preached some day services, but this was the biggest service. This was the Friday night one, and I was very honored, and the power of God fell. People were slain all out in front of the platform. Right after that, they called from headquarters, and I thought I'd forgot to pay my dues. (laughs) I thought, "Uh uh-oh, they're about to drop me. And they said, we want you to preach and be part of a service on Friday night at General Conference, the Fivefold Ministry Service. Here I was. Here's what I learned. Psalm 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. See, I found out the keys when you are in the valley is not to camp out, but to keep walking. You just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I know you. we think that the valley at the times is the tr- toughest trial that we've ever been through. But the keys is quit camping out and keep walking. Because I come to tell you something about the valley that I learned. Also in that valley, there's going to be green pastures. Come on, there's going to be water for you to drink. Sometimes that valley is long and painful, but however, He's going to feed you even when your enemies are all around. There will be times that you may be walking in the valley of the shadow of death, but He's going to be there to comfort you with goodness and mercy that's going to follow you through that valley. Where the real test begins is not the valley. It's when you're walking through that valley and you say, God, I need to go deeper with you. I want to be closer to you, God. You see, I, like the, I don't necessarily like the valley, but it's easy because it's flat for fat boys. It's just flat walking through the valley. It's the mountain that's going to try to get you. It was, it's the mountain that when you start climbing it, you can't breathe. Because you're trying to get to a new horizon with God. So the only way to get there is first, got to step out of that valley, which you just thought was tough, and you got to start climbing up a mountain. March, I was in excruciating pain. My body was swelling up. And I went to my wife come in. I'm a hypochondriac. I don't like doctors. When my doctor calls, my blood pressure shoots up. I don't like dentists. I hate spiders. If a spider gave me a heart cath or a root canal, I'd just die right there. So I don't go, to, I ne- you know, as long as me and my wife have been married, I never went to the emergency room. I just, I got better things to do. The answer might be on or something. She come in Tuesday. I don't even know how I made it. From I was in a revival in Texas, and I was preaching Sunday morning for one church, Sunday afternoon for another one, back Sunday night, then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday for one church, and then Friday and Sunday for another church. I mean, you know, it'd kill a skinny guy. I don't even know how I was able to pull my RV back because my body was passing big blood clots and I was I, I was so weak and in such pain. Finally, my bladder had clogged up and when my wife got there, I said, you got to get me to the emergency room right now. And I was just there over the flu and the same doctor, you know you's bad when the doctor remembers you. It's been a year ago. I'm like, man, they drained 1.8 liters off of my bladder. And he told me at two, your bladder would burst. That's how close I was to really death. And they run scans and they found a mass about this big in my bladder. And they scheduled me. He said, well, you gotta get you to a urologist. I'll never forget when he came in and sat down and he looked at me and my wife. He said, I'm not sure, but the radiologist is 100% sure that you got cancer. So the only way to get to a urologist, you know, this day and time, COVID has messed everything up. There, you can't even, there's, you know what makes me the maddest about all this? They shut down the KFC buffets. That really ticks me off. Over COVID? My watch thought my legs had fallen off because, you know, I got a lot of steps at the KFC buffet. And because of all that it was going to be six weeks with a catheter until they could get me into a urologist so i'm singing the blues you need to rest my wife will tell you right now that that's not in my vocabulary rest and i'm walking around outside in the early morning just pacing back and forth and my neighbor who every morning we see each other about six in the morning talk He could tell that, you know, because of this apparatus I was carrying around with me that something had happened, and I said, well, they think I got cancer, but it's six weeks before I can see a urologist. He goes, I don't think so. My wife's a head nurse for a urologist. Turns out it was the same one they were scheduling me with, but he got me in in two days. My wife and I sat out in the car, and we prayed, and I felt like... You know, it's one of them trials where God's not even there. We prayed, and I'm going to tell you what I prayed with her holding her hand. I said, Lord, I don't even know if I have an angel, but could you let me borrow an angel from somebody to walk in there with me? Because my faith is so low. They did all the tests, and the doctor confirmed it was cancer. And we began to pray, and churches were praying. We prayed so much. I had so many people call me and pray for me. I had, you wouldn't believe some of the words people try to give you. Right, Sister Olson? One guy said, "Ah, he just wants you to lay down in green pastures. I said, I got some behind my house. I don't believe you. We prayed, we prayed so much, I even convinced the doctor. My doctor calls me Brother Mahaney. Because I've witnessed to him so much. I showed him videos. I showed him a video. I'd just gotten back from the Philippines when all this happened of a mute lady that was in a wheelchair. We baptized her, and I thought she's going to come out of the wheelchair, but she had never spoken a word in her life. And she'd come up saying, Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, I love you, Jesus. She was 60-something and had never spoken one word in her life she left speaking. I heard her husband was real excited about their marriage. Now been married forty years, she'd never said a word. Sorry, Brother Olson. I think he probably called and said, "Y'all think you can baptize her again?" So he calls me, Brother Mahaney. And I convinced him, rerun the test. Everything's going to be all right. Just rerun them. Okay. They reran the test. Man, I'm sitting in there. They're about to do this procedure. They're going to wheel me back in there. You know, you ain't got any dignity. And they, and they come back, and he comes in. He said, I got news. And I'm like, yes. It's even bigger than what we thought. What? What? may they performed a surgery and they removed a hamburger sized mass out of my bladder Then, when the test came back it was very aggressive and a high grade cancer he said the miracle was most of the time this cancer is in the muscle and it moves to your rest of your body and it was moving up my tube in my body into my kidney and they stopped it before it hit my kidney and he, they, they got cut all that out and I was determined I still gotta make it up this mountain. See, the valley was tough. I'd been through some pain in the valley, but I'd never been through anything like it was trying to go up this mountain. Then came the treatments. The treatments was worse than the surgery. With all the pain and the sickness, I'd sat there in my chair for so long that finally they took stuff off of me and he said, You know what? I think you need to go to church. I said, I think you're right. I, can't, I can remember that first service back. I hadn't been in months. And I was sitting there and so weak I couldn't move. And God came in and began to minister and began to touch my body. And I remember going to church for the Cole. And when I lifted my hands and I, I couldn't even stand up, but when I felt his presence, tears began to flow down my face. And I knew that I don't know what was going on, but I knew that he was in charge. Finally cleared to go back to preach in August 6. I preached here, and I preached at David Myers, and I preached here. What people didn't know, I was still so weak that when I'd got get through preaching, I'd have to just go fall out and just rest. But the thing about climbing a mountain is, the closer you get to the top, to where God wants you to be, the harder it becomes. My family and I, we took a vacation in our RV with my pastor and his kids. And another pastor, and we went to Colorado. And we went to uh, Colorado Springs, which was beautiful. We did a little bit of hiking. Well, they did. I I followed behind. And then we went to the Rocky Mountain National Park. Beautiful, one of the most beautiful places. And we decided we was going to hike up to Bear Lake and have lunch up there around that lake. It's like 8,000, 9,000 feet. And I began to climb up there, and I thought, man, this is pretty tough. But I made it, you know. We're sitting around, and I had to carry all the Mahaney's lunch. Lord, that's tough, y'all. We ate lunch, and somebody come walking by, and they said, boy, y'all think this is pretty. You need to hike up to Nymph Lake. It's beautiful. Nip Lake's 10,500 feet. I didn't know that. Me and my wife, we start out. About the first 10 minutes, I'm going, Boo! What is that? I thought maybe I was having some kind of medical issue or something. I couldn't, I, you know, like a goldfish laying out of a bowl. And my legs felt like somebody had lit them on fire. And I said, i got to sit down. When I sit down, I was going. (sighs) And I looked, and it wasn't just me. They were sitting down all along that trail because the oxygen was so thin that you couldn't hardly breathe, and it was like this. My body was cramping and hurting, and we got up to Nymph Lake, and I thought, man, I'm about to pass out. I took I got my big old grandson, you know, he's 14, 6'1, 250. I said, You're carrying the backpack. I didn't adopt you for nothing. I labored him down with that backpack, and some other idiot comes by to our group and goes, Y'all think this is pretty? I said, No, actually, I don't think it's pretty. And there are groups like, yeah, they go, man, there's a waterfall. It's only about a mile, and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. I'm like, oh, Lord. They said, you just got to go back down. I said, down? Yeah, we can do this, but when you go down, you got to go up. We get down, and I told my wife, I said, look, me and you are the only ones in our late 50s in this group. Let's just go at our own pace. They can run and chase squirrels and dive in springs all they want to. So we, we settled down at our own pace, and I finally made it to that waterfall. And I was like, whew. October 31st, on a follow-up, they found another spot in my bladder. And because of the aggressiveness of this cancer, they had to schedule a surgery to remove this spot. It was different this time. I was still apprehensive about it, but I knew that God had already pushed me this far up the mountaintop. And you know what? The end was in sight. And I was ready to make that final push. And December 6th, my wife is, any of your husbands, your wives are on Facebook? Oh, come on, lift your hands. Every one of them are. And my wife says, they're saying, rest in peace, Nick Mahaney. And I went in there, and I looked, and it was my son. They found my 38-year-old son leaned up against a tree, dead of a fentanyl overdose. You know, I received the Holy Ghost when I was 38. And I just knew that this was going to be the year that my son would get the Holy Ghost. And then that maybe I could help him like my dad helped me. Just when I thought I was getting close to the top of the mountain, I, started, I felt my grip starting to lose. And my feet began to slide back down the mountain. And I began to question God, why? The enemy began to confront me. And I'm going to tell you, the enemy showed up in my face. You might as well give up. How can you help anyone? You can't even help your own son. What the enemy thought would destroy me has backfired on him. Because I made up my mind right then and there that I would do anything that I have to do. I'll go anywhere I have to go to keep another parent from looking into the casket of a backslid child or a son or a daughter that dies from a drug overdose. I come to tell the devil, you messed up. Because I'm more on fire now than I've ever been in my life. Listen, I can't tell you where my son is at. Brother Mangan said, you can't put him in heaven, you can't put him in hell, but you can put him in God's hands. That's where I put him. He's in God's hands, and I'm coming after your children. I don't want to see one of your children have to go through. I don't want to see one of you parents have to go through what I've had to go through in the last two months. Because I was determined now more than ever to get to the top of that mountain. Because I knew, knew that God had a new horizon for me. I'm going to make it. Come on, I'm going to make it. If you make up your mind, you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I can't afford to give up. The end is in sight. I've got to keep on pushing. Come on, I've got to keep on pressing on. Come on, there's a new horizon. Hello, peace. Hello, joy. Hello, love. Fear is not my future. Death is not your future. God is your future. And I come to tell somebody walking through a trial today, come on, hello fear, hello joy, hello love. Come on, there's a new horizon. He's got it planned for you. January 3rd, I went into surgery. That's right, I I had surgery a few weeks ago. I'm tough. And I was sitting there, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been in this situation, but a spirit of fear came over me. It was so strong that the nurse walked up and said, what is wrong with you? Where are you going? What are you doing? Pull out of this. And my wife began to pray for me. And I would got a word from a man of God, it's going to be fine, but I couldn't, I was trying to hold on to anything. They got in there and they said, this don't look like cancer. And they did a biopsy, and because of certain medication, they couldn't stop my bleeding for a while. But two days later, my wife and I are sitting in the doctor's office. They walk up to us, Brother Olson. She says, resume normal activities. You don't have cancer. I told her, I said, Well, my normal activities is I travel and preach. She said, Find some place to preach. I don't think they meant that Sunday, two days later, because I about passed out up there preaching. I was like, I baptized three drug addicts that come in front with a rehab group. Here's what I learned at the top of the mountain, there's a new horizon on that mountaintop it wasn't easy it was harder than walking through the valley i learned this that the wind the rain and the snow are still the same up there the heartache the pain and the suffering are still the same up there but it's different now because i see it with new eyes i can look back down and see the valley that i came out of there's still going to be heartache there's still going to be sickness There's still going to be trials, but I see it with a new horizon. Can I tell somebody, the end is in sight. Just hold on. Come on, he's working all things for your good. Come on, he's working all things for your good. There's a new horizon. Fear is not my future. Death is not my future. I told the Lord right before I went back for that last surgery, I said, God, if you want me, I'm ready. But if you don't want me, I'm ready. Whatever you want, God, I want to do it for you. Psalm 121 and 1 tells us, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, unto the hills, unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Come on, I come to tell somebody. You need to tell fear. Hello, fear. Hello, joy. Hello, love. I see a new horizon. I'm not afraid of death anymore because I've got a new horizon. Come on, that pain that you've been experiencing, that depression that you've been fighting, I come to tell you, the end is in sight. Come on, cancer's not going to take you. Come on, fear is not going to take you. Come on, I've been in the valley. I've been on the mountain. But I can stand on the mountain and see what he's brought me through. I want us all to stand. If I've been preaching to you, I know we're all hungry. But if I've been preaching to you, God wants to see where your faith is at. Are you ready to just give up? Or are you ready to push on? I'm glad that I pushed on and went and seen that beautiful waterfall. I got pictures of it, me and my granddaughter climbing up to the top of it. It was a new horizon. It was beauty. And if I've been preaching to you today... I want you to step out and make your way to the front right now. Come on. You've been in a valley, and now you're now you thought the valley was bad, but you're going through more trials and tribulation than you've ever been before in your life. It's because God's trying to help you get up a mountain. God's trying to show you a new horizon. Come on, begin to make your way to the front. Get close. Get in close. Because we're gonna we're gonna move in the Holy Ghost. Come on, get up, get close. Somebody fill this spot up right here. Come on. There's a new horizon. It's not over. It is not over until he says it's over. I don't care what the doctor says. Until he says it's over, it's not over. You just got to keep on pressing, you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Now, here's what I want us to do. I want us all to lift our hands as high as we can. And I want you to begin to repent and ask God to forgive you. The reason we're going to repent is because I want every vessel in here to be purged and cleansed right now. Come on, tell him, forgive me for my unbelief. I'll I, I have to pray this all the time. Forgive me, God, for doubting you. Come on, talk to him. I can't repent for you. Open up your mouth. Forgive me of my sins, O oh God. Forgive me, O oh Lord, of my sins.